All right, well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, continuing our study uh, that we started last week. Um, We're going to be going verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, in light of it being Advent, we're starting here in December, uh, and today being the second Sunday of Advent, um, our hearts are considering this idea of preparation, preparing our hearts for the one who is coming, the one coming to save, the one coming to rescue, the one coming to reign forever and ever. And as we look at the text today, we realize we need a king. We need a king who is righteous, a king who is forever, who is everlasting. And that is what we find in Christ, the king who comes, the righteous one for the unrighteous. And so, Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. I'm going to begin with verse 6 and go through verse 15. Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace today. Grace that is displayed in so many ways, but fully and ultimately through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for the text that we have before us today and how it points to you and your reign, and more so to your grace and mercy. We pray that you would bless our time, Lord. Help us as we look at your word. Help us as we consider Christ through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The text today is a lot of names. One of the things we talked about last Sunday is how this list, this genealogy, This list is made up not of perfect, righteous, morally pure people. Rather, it's the opposite. The list isn't at all, this genealogy isn't at all what we would expect as the line of the holy king of righteousness. But in God's sovereign grace and purpose, this is what we have. And it ought to lead us to praise him. 
Because we see in the text today, in the midst of all of these names, that Jesus, the righteous one, came to the unrighteous on behalf of the unrighteous to rescue the unrighteous by his mercy and grace. And that really is what we celebrate at Christmas. And so let's look at the list of individuals that were given in the text today as we head towards the purpose of Matthew's genealogy here. Begins and says in verse 6, Jesse, the father of David, the king. Jesse lived in Bethlehem and had eight sons, and David was the youngest. We see in Isaiah 11:1, referring to Jesse, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Later in the same chapter, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. King David is the son of Jesse. And so David and the mention of his father Jesse highlights this major purpose of the list that Matthew gives us, to trace the royal line of Jesus. It's one of the differences between Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. Matthew moves from Abraham to Christ and traces the succession of the royal throne, that Jesus is the true king and true Messiah. This verse, verse 6, ends the first list of 14 in Matthew's genealogy. David, it says, was the father of Solomon, whose mother was was the wife of Uriah. It's interesting that Bathsheba isn't actually named here. Matthew simply says, the wife of Uriah. And it's possible that he's calling attention to Uriah, who was a Hittite, which again highlights the presence of Gentiles in the line of Jesus, foreigners in the line of Jesus. Solomon was the son of David who was chosen to build the temple. Temple the Lord in all of its splendor and glory where God came and dwelt among his people, his presence there in the temple. Solomon was used to build this temple, something that his father, David, desired to do, but God did not allow because it says he had blood on his hands. And all along, The way is being paved by God for the coming of the true and better temple and the true and better king, the one who would save and bring people to God, that no one would be left out. Continues in verse 7, Rehoboam inherited his father Solomon's love of luxury. He had 18 wives and 16 concubines, which was nothing compared to his father, yet reveals the waywardness of his heart. This list in verses 7 through 10, it demonstrates God's providential leading because many of the kings that are mentioned here were evil, Rehoboam being one of them. And yet they were a part of the line of the Messiah, They're a part of the line of Christ. 
Rehoboam overtaxed the people to support his lavish lifestyle, and the northern tribes revolted against him. God is absolutely and completely sovereign. This is a purposeful list. He used sinful and evil kings in the line of his son, Jesus. It goes on, Abijah, the father of Asaph. Abijah was a king who began well but went the way of his father and reigned only three years. Asaph, or Asa, as the Old Testament refers to him, was a good king who removed the altars and high places, brought the nation back to God, was ensured uh, that there would be peace for the first 35 years of his reign. It goes on, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was known for godliness like Asa, his father, brought reform, sent priests to teach the people the ways of the Lord. And yet, even with all of this good that he did, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 32 and 33 says this, He walked in the way of Asa, his father, did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Again and again and again, as we looked through the Old Testament and these kings that were put before the people, even those that were considered good kings, they were not enough. They were not a good enough king to lead the people to the Lord. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram was evil, likely because his father foolishly allied with Ahab and married his son to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Joram murdered his brothers so that he had no rivals. Joram, the father of Uzziah, in this section here, Matthew leaves out three evil kings. Uzziah was a king who began well and won victories. The kingdom was strengthened under his reign, and yet he fell into sin and pride later in life and died as a leper. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham was a good king. He reigned during the time of Isaiah, Hosea, Micah. He was victorious over the Anamites, did good and yet didn't remove the high places where people would worship idols. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. In contrast to his father, Ahaz refused to listen to Isaiah, brought unbelief to the land. And it says he even sacrificed children to the sacred fires. During his reign, Judah became subordinate to Assyria and lost all of its freedom. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is is a well-known king. If you know the Old Testament, he cleansed the temple, destroyed the high places. And God told him, you're going to die. And he begged the Lord, prayed to the Lord for more time. And God granted him 15 more years. It's amazing. And yet, despite a warning from God, he made a secret pact with Babylon leading to a heavy tribute from Assyria and ended up having to remove the gold plates from the temple doors and pillars to pay it off. 
Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh is described in 2 Kings 21 as one of the most wicked kings in the history of Judah. You think about that. Think about the wicked things that the kings did, just the kings we've listed so far. To be labeled the most wicked of them all. But also consider that Matthew's mentioning him here on purpose. That this one is in the line, the genealogy of the Messiah, the Christ who's come to us. He rebuilt altars, high places of worship, practiced sorcery, and even sacrificed his own son in the fire. And yet, even in the midst of a story like that, we see God's grace. Late in life, he repented and removed the altars, reinstituted temple worship. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos returned the terrible practices of his father returning to idol worship. He was the father of Josiah. Josiah is one of the great reformers of the Old Testament, which is amazing because if you know who Josiah is, he was eight years old. How many of you here are eight years old or older and still considered a child? Most of them have gone, but raise your hand if you're eight years old and still considered a child. Eight years old, king and brings reform to Israel, renovated the temple, rediscovered the book of the law, which had been lost, and renewed the Passover celebration. Just a beautiful story. If that's, if that's you here, if you're eight years old or older and you're still considered a child, you are not left out of God's plan. God can and will and desires to use you. He wants to be a part of your life, not just your parents' life. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of deportation. Jeconiah is also referred to as Jehoiachin in Chronicles. Second Chronicles 36, 9 and 10 says, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the spring of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the precious vessels of the house of the Lord and made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. And at this point, Matthew reminds us that Israel was taken, exiled to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the son of Jeconiah, is mentioned only as the father of Zerubbabel. Nothing else is known about him. Matthew mentions him likely just as a bridge between the ancestry before the exile and after it. He's the father of Zerubbabel, who was the Persian-appointed governor of Jerusalem and became the messianic figure in the Old Testament called Yahweh's signet ring and chosen one in Haggai 2 and Zechariah 4 set apart as a reminder of hope that they were not forgotten and that Christ was coming. 
Now, for the remainder of this list, verses 13 through 15, I just want to read it. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob. Those nine names are completely unknown to us. Matthew likely got them from the same kind of traditional list that he used from Chronicles. But we know nothing else except these names here. There's gaps in the midst of them. The nine of these kings cover a period of nearly 500 years. The emphasis is on the royal line and the sovereign hand of God in preparing the way of the Messiah, the Christ. Now, just frankly, okay, when you woke up this morning, getting ready for church, it may never have occurred to you Man, I hope that we spend most of our time trying to say names that we cannot pronounce and just going through an, a, a historical account of all these people, most of which we don't know. You may not have thought that, but here we are. And why? Why is this important? Why is this significant? And, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's incredibly significant. We are people who are prone, if you do the read the Bible through, you may be prone, like I am prone at times, when you get to a genealogy, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, to just turn the page. Well, what's the purpose of this? Why, why would I spend my minutes this morning reading through all of these names when I know it's just names? And, and I'm, I'm, I want to encourage you here. There is a purpose that is glorious in the listing of all of these names in the midst of this text because they point to the unbelievable grace of our king. He is gracious. We are meant to focus on, that's the purpose of this list, to give evidence that Christ is the Messiah and the king, but also to bring us to praise. It's why it's here. You consider again the makeup of the list. We saw this last week as well. Who would ever have chosen a list like this to be the genealogy of the coming Savior and King? And the answer to that is God would. There's wonderful and glorious reasons for this being his genealogy. We talk about the differences between each of them, we could see that some of them brought some hope to Israel. God used them to bring some hope. They're kings that we might call good kings and leaders. Others we shake our heads at, and we can't even imagine them doing the things that they did. That we would refer to them as bad kings and leaders. But we don't want to miss that with every single one of them, something was missing. No matter what they seem like on the page, something is missing. And what's missing is true and everlasting righteousness that comes from them. The good were a reflection of what God would bring. The bad were a reminder of why we needed Him to do it. 
But even the good were good some of the time and drifted or struggled. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and none of them were good enough to lead the people all the way to God. And so where's the hope? As we go through a list like this, maybe as you're hearing some of the stories that are brief this morning about what they did, children being sacrificed, and, and all of the things that took place, it could be discouraging. And we may say, what is the hope in a list like that? And the answer is it's in the one they all led to. And the hope is in the fact that they were a part of his line. You consider David for a moment. He's a king, the one who anticipated the coming one. His reign was ultimately a good reign, but we know the story. We know that in the midst of, of his story, there was the taking of Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah. But I want to read to you David's words at the end of his life from 2 Samuel 22, verses 21 through 25. This is David's song, or a portion of his song. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt." And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Now we may read that in in the context of reading through the Old Testament and say, wait a second, it's only been a few pages. We know what you just did. So how can he say that? And the answer is because the gospel is actually true. The gospel is true. And so David can sing something like that. The verse before in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty four, he says, He rescued me because he delighted in me. And that is our only hope. Because the reality is, all of us have a story like this genealogy. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon, it tells us, was the wisest man who ever lived. In fact, the Lord told him he could ask for whatever he wanted at the beginning of his reign as king. And he said wisdom. The Lord blessed him for requesting that and made him wise so that the people trusted him and people came from other countries, nations, to hear of his great wisdom. But it wasn't enough for either of them or any in this list it wasn't enough David's hope in his last song is not in his own righteousness but in God who is merciful to those who are unrighteous and grants righteousness God who delights in those he came to rescue. You consider this list again and what it tells us about the Messiah who came to this earth. 
He took on flesh. He took on, as we said last week, an ancestry, this ancestry. Jesus came through and for those he came from, and many, many more. Those last nine names listed are unknown. No one knows their story. And maybe you feel the same way. And what we learn from that is Jesus came for you. This genealogy is made up of foreigners and sinners and the forgotten and the unknown. And Jesus came to them, for them, and to us and for us. He represents them as a man to make a way for them as a savior and king. When Jesus went to the cross, he suffered and died as one of these. And all of these listed. Taylor Gray, if you don't know Taylor, he was a pastor here until a little over a year ago, a dear friend. He posted something on Facebook yesterday that I think is relevant here, and I want to read it. He wrote this, we have to be careful what we communicate about the kingdom of God. Too often we communicate that the highest expressions of Christ's community are people, are pretty people living pretty lives, taking pretty pictures with other pretty people. The truth is the kingdom incorporates every type of person, the kinds of folks who don't often appear in ads or brochures the stutterers, the clumsy, people who choose to drink Budweiser, people who shop at Walmart, people who never got braces, people who are overweight, long-winded people, people who wear one pair of shoes a year, people who cuss, people who don't clean up, people who like smooth jazz, people who like hamburger helper, people without social media, people without passports, people who enjoy watching the prices right, the people advertising agencies cringe at. That is beautiful and absolutely true. This list of people, as evil as they are, represent those that Christ came to save. It's purposeful, and it's grace. Jesus suffered and died as a foreigner in the land so that all people would know that he came for them, all people. People of every tribe, every tongue, every color. He suffered and died as a sinner even though he never did wrong so that all people would know that no matter what they have done, Christ has been punished so that they can be free. He suffered and died as one forgotten and unknown, hanging there from a tree so that all people would know that there is always someone who remembers them and loves them. And just as is true for David and every other one listed in this text, he grants righteousness so that all of us can say, because of the cleanness of my hands, he's accepted me. He makes us clean. He makes us new. Many of these kings led people into captivity, but Jesus the Christ, the true and better king, came to set us free. 
Our attempts at leading ourselves, our attempts at being good will all result in captivity. Jesus sets us free to worship the Lord and serve him with hearts no longer in bondage to sin. The righteous came for the unrighteous, the Savior for sinners, and we have everlasting hope, everlasting righteousness in him. We sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive King, and we sing it because the King identified with us and suffered for us so that we could be with Him forever. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, we hold the bread and hold the cup, prepare to take it. I encourage you consider the reality of this text. We are all sinners, all of us. As bad as we may think this genealogy is, we all belong in it. We're no better than any of them. We all need Christ's grace. We all needed his sacrifice, and he came willingly. His body was broken, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and we can worship and praise him because it's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace for your love for us. Thank you. We pray that you would help us, Lord, even as we remember your body and blood broken for us. Help us as we remember. Be glorified in our singing. Be glorified in the taking of communion, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.